This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. The scripture reading again is from Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 5 through 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Pastor Todd gave me freedom to speak on anything I wanted to today, any topic, any Bible passage. So here's what I've got. And really, it wasn't a hard choice. Your attitude, your mindset, depending on the you know, translation you're using, should be similar to that of Christ Jesus. That's not what it says. <laughs> It should be the same. Your attitude, your mindset should be the same as Christ Jesus. And that makes sense. I mean, he's our leader. We're we're being conformed into his image. Think like he thinks. Approach life the way he does. That makes sense. So exactly what is his mindset? Jesus is God. (laughs) Right? But, I mean, he's man, too. He's he's the God-man. And he comes to earth, and he has the mindset of a servant. There's a a Jewish uh, fairy tale, a legend, uh, called the Beggar King, where there's this proud king, and he is told by some of his subjects that uh, money and wealth, it, it doesn't last forever. And even the power, the influence of the throne, it doesn't endure. And he's angered by this. And he said, well, who said that? And they said, well, it's written in the holy book. The the king tore that out of the holy book. And he ordered that all such, quote, offensive statements be torn out. Well, as this story goes on, he's punished for that kind of arrogance and so forth. And he is... Force resorting to uh, begging. He is living in poverty until he learns the lesson of, of being humble. And after he learns his lesson, he is restored to the throne, but, but a much wiser king. In the passage that was just read, Philippians 2, Jesus wasn't forced to set aside pride so he could learn what it's like to be humble. 
he already was humble. He willingly said all that glory and being God. He willingly, out of obedience to his father, set it aside and came to earth as a servant. Our attitude should be the same. Uh, Some of your translations might even have the word bondservant, and a bondservant is a willing slave. Whatever debt they might have owed to their master, that's been paid. They're free to go, but because they love their master, they don't go. (laughs) They choose freely to stay and serve, bondservant. I don't really know what comes to mind when you think of words like servant or bondservant or... In my own mind, it's even more inflammatory, the word slave. I don't know what comes to mind for you, but when I read things like this in Philippians, and you know we're supposed to have the same mindset that Christ has and talks about being a servant or a slave, I don't want to readily apply that to my life. I don't... Embracing being a slave? There's some pushback in my heart when I think of that. It's like, what's going on? And what's going on for me, and I'll bet it's going on for you, is it it comes in, I don't know if conflict is the best word, but but I have to reevaluate other very important values when I think of this being a servant or being a slave. Values like freedom. Freedom is so huge, and we we will give our lives for freedom, right? But it challenges freedom and independence and power. And, you know, not all power is bad. It's how you use power. Uh, influence. Being a servant challenges my personal rights. Don't for a second think that this topic of being a servant is in some ways simplistic to apply. It is challenging. In fact, when it, when it gets down to it, it, it gets to the core of our identity. I mean, can we even see, look in the mirror and see yourself as a servant? Um, not, not an easy to thing when you think of other, you know, freedom and your rights and all those things. For Jesus, <laughs> he's got all power, right? God freedom, influence. In terms of his identity, his identity is so lofty, one day everyone, no exception, everyone will bow in submission to his lordship. And whether you believe that or not, it's just a matter of time. That's just who he is. And he set it aside, willingly come to earth and be a servant. Your attitude should be the same. And being God and being a servant are not incompatible as remarkable as it seems, um, being a servant is an expression of how great he is. I mean, just ponder that. 
He's flipping things upside down and how we think of greatness. Flip it upside down and he probably got it right. Paul's not the only one in Philippians that talks about being a servant. There's there's other people that, that talk about having that same mindset, that same identity as a servant. Peter. Here's how he starts his second letter. Simon Peter, a servant, or a bond servant, or a slave, you know, translations differ, an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's his identity. James starts out, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if you know that James and Jesus are brothers. Brothers in the sense of, you know, live in the same house kind of brothers. And James looks at Jesus as his Lord. The other example, Jude, begins his letter, Jude, a slave, servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. you got three brothers. Jesus, uh, James, Jude, living you know, under the same roof, knew each other very well inside and out. And for Jude, well, James, it's, well, that's his brother. But he is a slave to Jesus. His identity. The term servant represents the Greek word for slave. It's the word doulos. Jesus took on the very nature of a slave. And the meaning of that phrase comes from the the culture of that day. It was the widespread institution of slavery in the Roman world. In that Greek-Roman Culture, a slave didn't even have the most basic human rights. Whatever your stereotype of slave is, that's it in the Roman world. In the same way, Christ gives up his rights to become a slave. Jesus put it this way, and, and Jonathan read it earlier, Mark ten forty five. For the Son of Man, it's a reference to Jesus, Son of Man. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. He came to serve and to give his life a ransom. John Maxwell, he's an author, speaker, pastor, said servanthood is not difficult to define. It's only uh, difficult to achieve. That's true. Mother Teresa, she's this this icon for servanthood, right? And there's a story. It's a bit gross, but it actually has to be that way to understand it. There's one of the workers that's caring for a cancer patient that has particularly smelly wounds, putrid and so forth. And the worker is so, the stench is so bad that he throws up and he can't even continue caring for the person's wounds. So Mother Teresa steps in and, and the person being cared for is surprised by this. And he says, how can you stand the smell? And she said, it's nothing compared to the pain you must be feeling. A servant will set aside their own comfort to relieve the discomfort 
of someone else. And for Jesus, it didn't even end there. Yes, he, he stoops as low as being servant, but he goes even lower to the point of death, even death on a cross. Exclamation point in my Bible. Crucifixion was the, the cruelest form of death in the Roman Empire, reserved just for the worst criminals, and the executioners were given wide latitude in carrying out their torture. So it actually wasn't surprising that Jesus is uh, whipped, uh, flogged. He has this very painful crown of thorns put on his head as a way of kind of mocking him. They spit on him. Uh, He's beaten while he's blindfolded, beaten, and then, hey, prophesy. Okay, who's the one that beat you? And that's before he even gets to the cross to die a slow, painful death. Jesus set aside his rights to be a servant and to go to a cross. He put it this way. It's, it's an expression of love. You, you think of the context that love is put in. 1 John 3.16. This is how we have come to know love. He, Jesus, laid down his life. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers. Are you being challenged yet? <laughs> Stretched. Imagine what it'd be like for the disciples. Okay, this, this is just a sermon. You know, Sunday morning, you hear this. What if you're walking around with Jesus, you know, day in and day out for years? But they're slow learners. And so some things that we would think, well, that should be obvious. It wasn't obvious. So toward the end of that those years and it gets up to the last supper scene and you know Jesus getting ready to go to the cross they're getting into an argument about greatness like of all things you're you're arguing over this uh, turn in your bibles to Luke 22 and I'm going to read a few verses 20 24 and following Luke 22 also a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Jesus said to them, Oh, the kings, you know, kings of the Gentiles, lorded over them, those who who exercise authority over them, uh, they call themselves, Hey, I'm your benefactor. You're not to be like that. Instead, the greatest of you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules... You should be like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table, but I am among you as one who serves? You see how he's redefining what being great really is? I I love the Bible the way it it just says it like it is. So it's not covering up that after these years, the disciples still are arrogant and prideful. And Jesus, the, the God-man, he, he is the greatest, and that greatness is expressed in being a servant. Archbishop Thomas Seeker, he's Archbishop of Canterbury in uh, seventeen. 58 to 1768, he said there's three kinds of servants in the world. One are, uh, they're slaves that serve out of fear. A second, they're 
hired hands that serve because they'll, they'll get paid. And the third are brothers and sisters that serve God because they love him. And I thought, that's insightful because really all service isn't the same. I mean, there's some people that serve and they're grumbling and complaining every step of the way. That's fun to be around those people. Not that I've ever been like that, but, you know, theoretically, people serve in, in, you know, with a bad attitude. And then there's people there, their attitude's actually pretty good. But, but you know, you can have another agenda in there. there there's going to be some payback, some accolade in the end. So you're serving, hey, you're, you're happy about it. And then there's people that serve, and they're not expecting anything. And their attitude is wonderful because they have a love for God. I remember a time where I needed help, and, and this has happened more than once, where you know you have a car and the battery dies, and you need somebody to give you a jump, and so somebody comes by, gives you a jump, and it starts. And so I wanted to pay them a little something for the, the effort of that. And they said to me, no, I don't want any money. Just return the favor. I've thought about that for years and tried to aspire to that. It reminds me of that movie, uh, Pay It Forward, where the social studies teacher gives the class an assignment to think of something to change the world and put it into action. So then one of the students, Trevor, thinks, I know... I'll take good deeds, but instead of repaying good deeds with with money, how about repaying good deeds with more good deeds to three brand new people? And and the hope is that those three people will, in turn, do something good for three more people. That kind of serving, it, it really can change the world, and that's Jesus' example to us. Billy Graham said this, Unless your belief in God causes us to help our fellow man, our faith stands condemned. Strong words, but you can argue with it? Okay, how we imitate uh, being Christ, being a servant, it's going to vary from situation to situation. C.S. Lewis had an interesting way of maybe taking that next step in being a servant. He, he writes this. It helps, said Lewis, to pretend to be Jesus. You got it? Pretend to be Jesus just like a child might pretend to be a soldier or a shopkeeper. Just as the child's imaginary games helps the child develop skills that'll later be helpful as a real soldier or shopkeeper, so this quote-unquote game to pretend to be Christ inevitably reveals in the believer places for improvement, and it guides the believer towards spiritual maturity. Lewis argues that the minute we realize we're dressed up like Christ, can you envision that? Dressed up like Christ? We will discover ways in which our pretense could become reality. 
we would also be embarrassed to discover thoughts that, uh, okay, Christ wouldn't have thought that. <laughs> and unfulfilled duties that, okay, Christ would have not have neglected. Those realizations, he said, should in turn prompt us to more complete obedience. So I hear this illustration and I think, okay, what would it be like to dress up like Christ? That sounds good. <laughs> Wait a minute. Okay, that means I'll always be doing the dishes and sweeping the floor and picking up after others and visiting the sick and in prison and calling someone and on and on. And I would never leave anything undone, and that gets kind of tiring. Uh, oh, okay, well, wait a minute. I hope I'm not the only one that is trying to dress up like Christ and being prompted... And I think there's other people that can be prompted to do the dishes and pick up and call and visit and help. And So I don't think we would simplistically apply this by saying, well, then every possible need is my responsibility to meet. However, live in that tension, and it is a lifelong tension... See, this whole topic is not simplistic, right? Not in the least. Live in that lifelong tension. What would it be like if you're dressed up like Christ? How would he have you in a particular situation to serve? In the words of Philippians 2, 3, and 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests. I like that part. It does say, yes, you can look to your own interests, but don't stop there. Look also to the interests of others. The most challenging Bible passage, maybe ever, but certainly on this topic of service, I've shared some thoughts on it before, and a handful of you will recognize some of these thoughts. It's Luke 12, 35 to 40. If you have your Bibles, look at Luke 12, 35 to 40. And, And even if you've heard me share some thoughts on this, I hope you're still perpetually blown away and challenged by the implications of, of this parable that Jesus gave. I'll, I'll read it. Luke twelve thirty-five. Be dressed and ready for service. Keep your lamp burning, like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, you can immediately open the door for him. It'll be good for those servants whose master finds them ready when he comes. I tell you the truth, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes the second or third watch of the night. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known the hour the thief would come, he wouldn't have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready because the Son of Man, again, reference to Jesus, Son of Man, will come at an hour you don't expect him. The the main thrust of the parables, hey, be ready. Be diligent. Be watching. The the Son of Man, Jesus, he's going to come. He's come once. He's going to come again when you least expect it. 
Be ready. There's not a, this attitude, hey, the cat's away, the mice will play. <laughs> You're ready at a moment's notice, what, to serve. Just to state the obvious in the, in the parable, the servants, okay, he's talking to his disciples. And by application, okay, are, are we disciples? Are, are, are we aspiring to be a servant? Okay, put yourself in, in the parable. Son of man is, is the master in the parable. Well, the son of man is Jesus. And so, so, so far, this much of the parable, it, it makes sense. And it, it's challenging. I mean, how, are you, how can you be perpetually vigilant and ready? Second coming. But it makes sense to me. You're ready, you're ready to serve. Verse 37 doesn't make sense to me. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth. He will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. Watching, ready servants, in a complete role reversal, he says, hey, take a seat. Jesus has already done a complete role reversal before when he washed his disciples' feet. I'll skip the main part of the story because you maybe have that idea of what he already did. But I'll pick it up. This is in John 13, 12 through 17. Pick it up at the end of this foot washing, this role reversal. John 13, uh, starting at 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done? He asked them, You call me teacher and Lord? Okay, you're right. You're right. <laughs> That's who I am. Your, your Lord and teacher. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now, uh, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. As amazing as it is that Jesus did that, even that, I, I, can, I can, in a way, get my head around that. I mean, he's, he's a master teacher. <laughs> he's more than a teacher, right? Okay, but to give this vivid object lesson, washing is just, I understand that. That he would do it again, Son of man comes at an hour you least expect him. Servants that are ready, hey, have a seat. Let me serve you. That's amazing. It's perplexing. I find it troubling. How could he do that? 
how could the master wait on us again? This is a parable. Parables have one main point, and the main point is be ready. Be watching, be vigilant. I get that. Is it also true in this parable that people that are ready for Jesus coming, well, he said, I tell you the truth. Is it like I tell you the truth, like this is really going to happen? I'll have them recline and he dresses to serve? I say if because I, it's hard for me to imagine that being true. I really don't. If it's true, there, there's three thoughts that help me even ponder how it's a possibility. One, we are frail human beings. Created everything. I mean, this whole world created by God, and and we're, our breath comes from Him. And then we talk about eternal life and heaven and all that. Even that's sustained. God is the only self-existing person, right? Everything else is created. Everything is dependent on Him. So we're dependent on him now, but even in heaven, in eternal life, when we talk about that, that is dependent on him sustaining it. In a way, we have to be on the receiving end from God. If we're going to exist, he's got to sustain it, or we're, we're not. So we're always on the receiving end. Second thought. Not not original to me. Somebody, when I shared this in a, in a group, they went back to a passage, Luke 22, and, and the concept is getting at the, at the concept of loyalty, Jesus' loyalty. Luke 22, uh, I'm going to read 27 to 29. He says, Oh, who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table, but... I am among you as one who serves. Now verse 28. (laughs) You are those who have stood by me in my trials. (laughs) And I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me. It's like, you disciples, you stood by me. You were there for me, I'm going to be there for you. Loyalty. Wow, okay. Wait a minute. (laughs) Uh, seems to me not long after this that Peter denies Jesus three times. The disciples, except for John, they abandon him at the cross. So he's there alone and they're hiding for their lives. And certainly they're cut a lot of slack. But, but, but God honored their efforts. A kingdom is conferred to them. We experience a piece of his kingdom even now. It's amazing. So, we're always on the receiving end from God. Uh, I'll say gracious loyalty explains some of this. The third thought is, it's just in Christ's character to serve. 
So Philippians 2, he's God, but he doesn't cling to that, humbles himself, becomes a servant. He's living out his character. That's who he is and has always been. And I suspect even that foot washing stuff, I believe he was doing more than just like being a good teacher. I think he was living out who he was. His greatness was expressed in humble service. I'm just throwing out words. I don't understand a God who gives and gives and serves uh, this way. I, I don't. Follow Jesus' example, his character. Um, Lorna Saini, he's a uh, former president of a navigator organization, was asked, well, how do you know if you've got this servant-like attitude? And he said, by how you act when you're treated like one. I've never forgotten that. Your attitude, your mindset should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Amen. Pray with me a minute. Lord God, we love you. We want to be more like you. We want to do more than just dress up like Jesus. We want it to be our character. God, by your Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to live out those desires and aspirations for Jesus' sake. Amen.